0: Look around your daily life. There's a little piece of Thomas Edison almost everywhere. Your desk lamp. That X-ray you got when you broke your arm. The battery in your car. The movie you saw last night. The recording of this story that you're about to hear. From PRX Radiotopia. Thomas Edison, the near-deaf inventor of the phonograph, was the first to capture what he called fugitive sound waves.
1: I am the Edison phonograph, created by
2: the great inventor of the new world. To delight... Edison may have invented the talking machine, but in order to hear the music coming out of it, he had to bite on the edge of his phonograph, so the music would vibrate through his jawbone. When you go to visit his house in New Jersey, look for the teeth marks on the edge of his piano. Good evening.
3: This is Admiral.
1: Serve your friend
0: the bear. Welcome to Fugitive Waves. Lost recordings, shards of sound, along with new tales of remarkable people from around the world. I also got a from Stories from the flip side of history.
2: I sure hope so. I hope so too. We're the Kitchen Sisters, Davia Nelson and Nikki Silva. Today we're digging into our archive and pulling up a story from our Lost and Found Sound series. Stories of people possessed by sound, vanishing voices, and sound on the verge
0: of extinction. We call this one the Rise and Fall and Rise and Fall and Rise of Thomas Alva Edison.
4: This is baleen uh, from a whale. It's a deer's antler. I think that's a turtle shell. This is an elephant's hide that's pressed rabbit felt. There's a big tortoise shell back there and in the um, scale there's, it's full of a woman's hair. Edison liked to have anything and everything on hand so that he would be able to to just pull it out of the stock room and use it. With his uh, incandescent light bulb they tested thousands of different materials to find the best filament. Um, It was before the era of plastics so if you needed a certain thickness or hardness. The best way to find it, usually, was from nature. I'm Jerry Fabris. I'm the curator of sound recordings at Edison National Historic Site in West Orange, New Jersey.
2: Thomas Alva Edison.
1: The uh, first words I spoke in the original phonograph, a little piece of practical poetry. Mary had a little lamb, its fleece was white as snow, and everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go.
5: When he invented the uh, phonograph, he wasn't looking for it. He was working on a device called the repeating telegraph.
2: Professor Alan Konensberg, author of The Patent History of the Phonograph.
5: Edison's first phonograph in 1877 used tinfoil wrapped around a drum, no electricity, and his voice would indent a needle and would have been stored up in the indented tinfoil. That struck people as a miracle. But it was a dead end because with tinfoil you couldn't have portable, permanent records. Some have survived from that time. We have Sarah Bernhardt, one of the most famous actresses of her day uh, on a tinfoil recording. But nobody has the nerve to wrap it on the drum and play it again because they're so fragile.
1: I designed my original tinfoil phonograph in cylinder form and gave it to my faithful John Cruci to make. He made fun of it. I was almost as surprised as he was when the first model reproduced Mary had a little lamb, which I had shouted into it.
6: The reason why the phonograph was really invented to begin with was because they were trying to come up with things that would record telephone messages.
2: Peter Dilch records acoustic cylinders for the Edison site using the same techniques and equipment Thomas Edison pioneered over a hundred years ago.
6: The telephone had just been invented. It was Western Union, wanted to come up with their own patent. So they hired Edison to come up with a loud speaking telephone. Alexander Graham Bell's phone was really not that practical. You had to scream into it. Edison came up with a transmitter. And from those experiments is where the phonograph came from.
5: The telephone was a tremendous surprise for people, almost as much uh, as the phonograph. This was something that really stirred people's imagination, uh, that you could be in one place and your voice could be somewhere else.
7: When Edison thinks about the phonograph, he doesn't think about an entertainment machine, a talking machine, because no one's ever thought of that. People entertain themselves. It wasn't going to save the beautiful music forever. It was going to save basic simple business transactions.
2: From the day Edison invented his tinfoil talking machine in 1877, the competition was breathing down his neck. Bell and Tainter at Alexander Graham Bell's Volta Laboratory were first on his heels with their graphophone. Emile Berliner's gramophone was next, and soon the Victor talking machine and Columbia Company we're making records and record players.
7: I am
1: the Edison Phonograph, created by the great wizard of the New World to delight those who would have melody or be amused.
7: Everybody remembers Edison as the inventor of the phonograph, but the phonograph would have had hardly any impact, it would have been just a toy for rich people if Edison hadn't gone ahead and invented a process to mass produce recordings.
2: Professor Andre Millard, author of America on Record.
7: Edison wasn't the only person looking into the future. Edison, Victor Company, Columbia, they were the big three. We're talking about the 1890s now. We're talking about trying to get this technology on its feet.
1: I am the spirit of the Victor talking machine. Spirit, yes, that's what I said. But I'm no clammy, misty presence. I'm a regular sunshine factory. Yes, I am. (laughs) As an interesting experiment, as well as a demonstration of the Columbia process of recording instrumental music, you will now hear some of the instruments of the Columbia Orchestra.
7: The idea of recording something for posterity was really one of the important ideas in creating an industry of recorded sound. Great moments of culture were going by. Person, Dame Melbourne. if you weren't there if you weren't at the Metropolitan Opera House you were going to miss it the industry of recorded sound said here is your chance to capture this historic moment
6: When the Victor Company was going around spending millions of dollars on advertising, which was a good idea, Edison was having these little local things called tone tests. Peter
2: Dilch records cylinders for the Edison National Historic Site.
6: They would hire a hall and get one of their popular artists to be in person. They'd have what they called the official laboratory model.
1: The singer would be there and they give a demonstration of an Edison phonograph. So I went.
2: Tone test witness, Harold Locke.
1: There's a singer and the machine was on the stage. You're hearing her voice and then when the lights come on again, there was no one there but the machine and you couldn't tell the difference.
7: While Edison is saying you can't tell the difference between a live recording and my record, other people were saying, would you like to listen to Louis Armstrong? Would you like to listen to Bessie Smith? It ain't perfect, but you can dance to it. And that was what was going on in the marketplace. Edison proved his point, but it was a point that people weren't really interested in.
5: Edison thought when he produced records, customers would come to him. He was so famous that he thought that would be sufficient. So he never spent as much on advertising as any of the other companies at Columbia and Victor. When the world's fairs were held in 1901, Buffalo or 1904, St. Louis or 1906 in Milan, all the other major record companies would enter their machines for various medals. Edison would never do that. And if somebody tried to enter his machines without his authority, even if he won a medal, he would refuse it uh, on the grounds that uh, his machines were the best and there was no need to have these uh, commercial uh, competitions. If
1: you are a close observer, you have already noticed that the Edison disc phonogram requires no change of needle. To reproduce a point is a genuine diamond, carefully selected, polished, and fitted. In eighteen hundred and seventy-eight, Mr. Edison invented and patented the first disc phonograph ever made.
7: Edison was completely against creating stars. Author Andre Millard. He saw the expense, the inconvenience. He didn't get along with the Caruso's of this world. He was a rough-and-ready Midwesterner, and he rubbed them the wrong way. And as a businessman, he said, let's not even put the name of the performer on the recording. Let the listener decide. But on the other hand, Victor went with the star, and it sold.
5: Edison was once given a chance to record Jolson, and somebody told him what Brunswick was paying him per record, and he just couldn't believe it, and he refused to do it. So he developed his own stable of recording stars and opera personalities, but he didn't pay them anywhere near the same money.
1: Hello, folks. My name is Phil Baker. They call me a bad boy from a good family. Last night, I tried Mr. Edison's recipe of sleeping four hours a night, and oh, boy, not so good today. I guess he can get by with it. He sleeps twice as fast as I do, sort of doubles up on his breathing. I'm playing an accompaniment on as an accordion. My first recording with the old Edison was on his own record. To be or not to be, that is not the question. Before I signed up with Edison, I gave Columbia oh, Records an audition and could have signed up with them. But everybody said, no, go to Edison,
2: go to Edison. What? Ermini Calloway recorded at Edison's New York City Studios in the 1920s. It was the big old, big, big studio. They got me to dress in a pair of
1: short blue jeans, cut them off, you know, and the straw hat thrown on the floor, and I'm sitting there all kind of cute like, I guess. That's the only picture I had. And you know that the Edison people took that and put it on their first brochure when they started advertising their new, thin records. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, I nearly dropped. Other records compared with Edison records are like an outline drawing without color, shading, or detail compared to a finished painting with all the flames. The purpose of colors, this record is to demonstrate the Columbia double disc record. Music on both sides, the different selection on each side. They may be played on any disc machine, the Columbia
0: graphophone or the Victor talking machine.
7: Edison was absolutely convinced that the disc was inferior to the cylinder and he made that a point of honour. The killer was that you can record on both sides of a disc. Edison thought this was a terrible idea. Why sell somebody twice as much material when you can sell them two lots of material?
1: The music of Columbia Double Disc Records is the music itself, not merely our idea of what we can make the people think music ought to be.
4: It wasn't until about 1912 when the Edison Company decided to come out with a disc machine that Edison came back and became personally involved with the phonograph. This older age, basically deaf man (laughs) deciding what music and what artists should be chosen.
1: This is Mr. Edison's 84th birthday, which finds him hale and hearty. He is now being interviewed by newspaper men on world events. What do you think of the Einstein theory? Uh, I don't think anything of Einstein theory because I can't understand it. <laughs> what do you think of the sound uh, pictures of today? What I think of the talking pictures? Yeah uh well i don't know i never heard (laughs) them how does it feel to be 84 years old well it feels very fine to be 84 years of age if you don't have anything the matter with you (laughs) well i have a little trouble now and then and that's because i'm getting old but i've got a lot of ginger yet Sensational wonder today we know Everyone is talking and fooling with radio
3: Father was very much opposed to radio. But we were after him all the time to get into the radio to meet the
2: competition. Thomas Edison's youngest son, Teddy.
3: Then he reached the point where his hearing became very bad so that whenever he had to listen to anything, It had to be at very high volume. And he had a telephone headset. When the volume was up to the point where Father could hear it, it was way overloading. It was still not loud enough for Father, and Father wanted to put more current on it. And Finally reached the point where it started to make sparks across the earphone. Hoffman said he was afraid to go any further. He was afraid he was gonna electrocute Father. (laughs) That experience helped to give Father the idea that radio was horribly distorted. Well, of course, everything he heard was. Listening to it, that way was everything overloaded many times. A million girls and boys are making all that noise, for that
4: means I love you. This is Edison's heavy machine shop. Edison liked to say that he could make anything in these shops from a lady's watch to a locomotive.
7: The West Orange Site is the great laboratory of the Western world, and there's nothing like it. It was an advertisement for the services that he was going to sell to American businessmen.
2: Guru to Edison. George Gouro, Edison's sales representative in Europe.
1: Dear Edison, Merry Christmas and a happy new year to you all. Give my regard to all the boys in the laboratory and tell them I hope they're not going to sleep. Goodbye yours ever, Guru.
4: People picture Edison as a lone inventor, working away by himself, but that really wasn't the case. West Orange was a mecca for engineers and scientists.
7: He had illiterate itinerant machinists working shoulder-to-shoulder with German PhDs in chemistry. Edison had a very low opinion of higher education and would not automatically hire people because they had degrees. There are many firsts in the Edison laboratory. The first people to die through exposure to radioactive chemicals. The first people to have nervous breakdowns trying to complete a research project. People cracking up under the pressures. While nobody ever said it was a bad place to work, and most people said it was an inspiring moment in their lives, working at the Edison Laboratory was no picnic.
1: WAAM, Newark, New Jersey, located at 1 Bond Street. We are presenting an Edison program this afternoon, and Mr. John A. Scott opens the program by playing an organ solo.
2: A holiday message from the Edison Recording Company to its sales dealers and jobbers in
1: 1924. This is Charles Edison, speaking, chairman of the board of directors. The midnight oil still burns in the Edison laboratory. The product that has survived the commercial storms of nearly half a century, and face the future with unflinching confidence. This is Farrier speaking. The heads of department are delighted to say a personal word to you fellows in the front-line trenches. We realize what you're up against. 1925 is going to be a far better year than this year has been. The worst is over. So let's all put on our galoshes and wade in. This is Thomas A. Edison speaking from Fort Myers, Florida. I am still working hard, and I ask you to accept my efforts as a proof of my affection instead of my words. I wish I could invite all of you to have some birthday cake, but unfortunately we can't eat by radio just yet. I'll have to work on that problem. Well, good night, everybody. Thank you, and good luck. This is WJZ in New York City.
4: Later in Edison's life, he worked on developing a source for rubber. Henry Ford wanted to make sure that there was a way that even during wartime, we could have enough rubber to make tires for his cars. So Edison became a botanist in the last few years of his life. If you go down to his house in Fort Myers, you can see there's this hybrid of a goldenrod plant, and he found that to be the best source for rubber. I think the goldenrod experiment was a way to get him out of the record company, because by the late 20s, he had a very severe hearing problem and, sadly, had become stuck in his ways thinking that the old acoustic recording technology was the best way. So I think the Goldenrod Project was a way to get him out of the recording studio.
7: All over the world, there's Edison phonographs, Edison lighting, Edison Films. The great irony of Edison and the phonograph was that although he invents the equipment, the terrible fact is that he creates an industry that he can't compete in. To close down the Edison phonograph works in 1929 must have been terrible for all those people out of work and no longer produce recordings with the Edison name on them. The Edison Records were not keeping up with musical tastes, as his competitors were. He had an aversion to jazz and to all these modern sounds. Edison said, why can't they just buy the records that we make? Why can't it be, I'll take you home Kathleen, that's it, period.
1: Here the curtain falls on Thomas A. Edison, children to whom his name had been known and revered since their first school days pay their last respects to the giver of life lying in state in his laboratory. Grown-ups too, 80,000 of them, passed through the presence to gaze for the last time on the physical likeness of the man who devoted his life to
4: humanity. When Edison was on his deathbed, Henry Ford asked Charles Edison to set out some test tubes in the room so that Ford could keep Edison's last breath in these test tubes. When Edison died, they had these tubes sitting by his bed and they capped them up. You now the Henry Ford Museum has Edison's last breath in a test tube on display.
7: <laughs> the West Orange site resonates with history, both in the realm of the spirits and in the chemistry of all those noxious materials that were just dumped. There are thousands of glass bottles of chemicals on that site. Some of them 100 years old, there was no concept when Edison was working of safe removal of noxious chemicals and they just dumped it. Who knows what is underneath. I just wouldn't eat any fruit or produce that had been grown on West Orange <laughs> Laboratory site, although at some time some of the Park Service people grew tomatoes.
1: I firmly believe that the machine age will favorably affect the lives of the workers. It is impossible, however, to forecast what electricity and invention will make of the world a hundred years hence. We don't know a millionth or one percent about anything. All theories, sooner or later, are abandoned for others.
0: The Rise and Fall and Rise and Fall and Rise of Thomas Alva Edison is produced by the Kitchen Sisters and mixed by Robin Weiss. Lost and Found Sound, an epic collaboration we produced with Jay Allison, NPR, and thousands of listeners from around the nation. Fugitive Waves is mixed with Jim McKee. Fugitive Waves is part of Radiotopia from PRX, a network of the best story-driven, creative, cutting-edge radio shows on Earth. Shows like
7: 99%
4: 99 Invisible. I'm Roman Mars. The truth. Benjamin
0: Walker,
2: Theory of Everything.
4: Welcome to Strangers, Love and Radio, Radio Diaries,
2: and us, the Kitchen Sisters. Fugitive Waves. Get to know your new favorite podcasts at radiotopia.fm. Radiotopia from PRX is made possible with support from the Knight Foundation and our launch partner, MailChimp, who celebrate creativity, chaos, and
0: teamwork. If you are interested in supporting this and other podcasts like it, email sponsor at prx.org
2: Radiotopia
6: from PRX